it's not just about, you know, it's not about race, it's not about skin, color, it's not about gender, it's, it's, it's beyond that. It's about diversity of mindset. So having, you know, having people from lots of different um, walks of life is going to help you be creative and overcome better challenges. So I think if companies were thinking about like, how do you start building that culture? It, it, you know, you have to kind of commit to that. Welcome to Culture Crunch, brought to you by Hunters and Unicorns. We're here to talk company culture and discuss what companies can do to drive best practice. Today, we're joined by Dalton Van Hatcher, Chief Revenue Officer of Felix and co-founder of Us in Technology. Dalton, welcome to Culture Crunch. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Karen. I'm really excited to be here. Dalton, are you able to please just expand a little bit more about what you're doing currently and your experience? Right now, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Felux, which we're building the world's first uh, steel SaaS-enabled business-to-business marketplace. We're really, we call uh, making, we're making steel sexy is what we call it. But what that means is really bringing kind of the DoorDash, Uber, Lyft experience to the steel industry. It's a it's an antiquated industry um, in terms of technology, um, m- primarily offline. And so what we're doing is helping our customers really accelerate the growth of their business through using technology. And so it's been a, it's been a, um, an interesting journey. But just briefly about myself, I was fortunate enough and blessed to work under the leadership of early in my career of John McMahon, who's been featured on this uh, the, on Hunters and Unicorns in the 33 CXOs. And I spent, um, I started as an SDR at Blade Logic actually under uh, John's leadership and David Acheria, who's now the CEO of MongoDB, but spent some time working in various different roles at different startups. So I was an early employee at Sumo Logic, um, which IPO'd a couple years ago. And I was at um, multiple uh, uh, kind of enterprise software solutions like BMC Software and Fuse. Most recently, it was at a company called Vapor.io. We were basically re-architecting the internet by building micromodular data centers for low latency use cases, which is kind of a mouthful, but really looking at how, how is the inter- internet architected today and how is it going to be in the future. But what I'm most proud of now is I, I actually have my own company too called Us in Technology. We're going to talk a little bit about it today, but Us in Technology is a... Um, it's a DEI platform, so we're helping underrepresented folks get into the tech industry, which is a big challenge today. Um, a lot of companies are great at, at recruiting, but not so much at recruiting underrepresented talent. But I also do a lot of philanthropy work. I'm on the board at Jernigan Foundation. I help out at a company called Freedom Seal Global, which is eradicating human trafficking through uh, in supply chains. And I also advise uh, several tech startups like Aerial Ops and Hark, um, which is really a customer, um, kind of a customer experience helping brands with their customers. Wow, an incredibly decorated sort of experience there already, Dalton. And I think a really interesting starting point would be to discuss it in your opinion, what, what good company culture is. 100%. 
Yeah, when I think of good company culture, um, you know, I I actually had a big life event recently. I um, I had my first baby girl, so I just had a daughter. She's about three and a half months old. Her name's Vrea. She's you know a wonderful blessing to my wife and I. And when I think about a good company culture, it's it's really like my ability to take um, paternity leave and really have people embrace you know and help me through. Um, that journey and really being able to like, you know, dial it back and focus on my family and the things that I need to focus on. That was kind of a wow moment for me when I was able, you know, as a CRO of an early stage startup, we're in the, we just had raised our seed round and the, we were in the process of raising our um, series A, having the other executives and the other team members really step up and not miss a beat. That was like a huge eye opening experience. So when I think of like, what does that mean from a culture perspective? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, you know, put like embracing family, embracing work-life balance, but also like embracing people. Like one of the things that I, I think about when building a culture is, are you hiring Dalton Van Hatcher or are you hiring a chief revenue officer? And companies that get it hire Dalton Van Hatcher, not a chief revenue officer. And so having an inclusive culture um, is the start of that. And I think um, for a lot of companies, if they focused and had an inclusive culture, they would look a lot more diverse. But that's one of the challenges that, um, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit today. Absolutely. And in terms of one of the, the pillars, if you will, of good culture, what what do you think that would be? What, what could companies do to really drive good company culture in a tangible and measurable way? Yeah, I think that um, I think that really you know, it starts with diversity, diversity of mindset. So having people from different walks of life and different experiences is really a big part of that. And so diversity, it's not about race, it's not about skin, color, it's not about gender. It's 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 beyond that. It's about diversity of mindset. So having you know having people from lots of different walks of life is going to help you be creative and overcome better challenges. So I think. If companies were thinking about like how do you start building that culture, it, it you know you have to kind of commit to that. It's not easy. Um, it's it's a journey. It's a transformation. Um, the tech industry is not a very diverse place, but uh, I would tell you that um, you know that significantly can pay off because overcoming challenges is 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 mission critical to early stage startups. So if you have if you can tackle it in different angles from different uh, viewpoints you're always going to be better equipped to tackle those problems as they come up. Fantastic. And what do you think companies can do to, to nurture new talent? Yeah, so I think that everybody has to start somewhere. And I think that one of the challenges is, is um, you know, I, we always have this kind of funny saying, is like make the SDR role, you know, entry level again. And so in today's world, there's there's such a big expectation around experience. And I think that, what companies have to realize and people have to understand is that, um, you know, it's it, it, whenever you're most people who are in hiring positions probably have like a lengthier you know experience under the belt. You know, typically the world they entered is different than the world it is today. And so people have to kind of understand and remove their their bias or try to as much as they can um, embrace, you know, experiences 
um, that are going to help the company. And so I think meeting people where they are is really, really what that comes down to. And so, um, you know, the, the, the people coming into the workforce today grew up in a very different world than I grew up in. And so making mm-hmm. sure that you embrace and account for that when hiring is extremely important. Fantastic. And, and so talking about the, the, the new workforce, if you will, joining now, what can we do as more senior leaders within businesses? What can we do to really nurture their career progression? People talk a lot about like mentorship, but mentorship doesn't cut it, as I would say. Okay. Really have to advocate, um, advocate for people. And there's this concept of really like, you know, mentorship versus advocacy. And, and mentorship is really about, you know, helping people by telling them, you know, hey, I would handle it a different way or, you know, answering questions after the fact. Advocacy is really taking like a, a, a front seat and really um, helping people with your leveraging your influence to help people. And so that's what I would tell, um, you know, to companies and leaders out there is really think about helping your people understand the why. I was fortunate enough to have just amazing mentors. The 33 CXOs, for example, I worked with all of those people and they, a lot of them took the, the time to, un, to help me understand the why. And that's where, you know, a big part of why and where I am today. And so I think as leaders, one of the things that's um, really important, and especially in today's world where there's a lot of disconnect from communication standpoint because of just the availability of information, um, you really have to help people understand the why. It's an information overload in this world. People are really obsessed with outcomes. But, you know, understanding how we got to there or the inputs, that's what's really going to impact someone's future and their career. So as a leader, helping people understand the why behind behind things, you're going to have a big impact on those that person's career. Okay, so Dalton, just understanding exactly what we've touched upon there, you're saying if companies actually had more sponsors as well as mentors, nurturing that sort of new talent, that would do a lot but also with leaders actually taking the time to, to share the why, the purpose, in your opinion, that would do a lot to really drive the culture. Yeah, I think that um, actually Cedric Pesh, who has been on your show before, he's, he's a great mentor and just one of the best leaders, in my opinion, out there, CRO of MongoDB. Early in my career, um, he taught me, the, you know, understanding the journey of the ocean. And what he meant by that is like, if you ask someone to hammer, um, you know, a, a nail into a board, if you're trying to build a ship and you, the ship needs to um, journey through, you know, treacherous seas, you, you, you better make sure that, that ship's not going to sink, right? Things are going to come up, storms are going to come up. So what's really important is if you treat people like, hey, they're just hammering a nail into a board mm-hmm. versus teaching them the journey of the ocean and the journey of the adventure, like, why are we doing this? What's the importance behind this? That's that's we call um, at us in tech having dream chasers, like teach them the dreams and the art of the possible so that they can, you know, excel and, and, and have impact on their career from that standpoint. And so leaders a lot of times forget that and they, um, you know, push asks and tasks, as I would call it, to their teams without teaching them the why. The why is extremely important, especially for people is if they want to progress their career and become leaders or ha- have their own businesses, they need to understand why these tasks are important and mission critical. So we're not just asking our colleagues to, to join us on the journey. 
we're actually telling them more about actually why we're on this journey, what the destination means to them, getting them connected to our purpose is essential in, in looking after our talent, retaining staff, scaling, growing, etc. Exactly. And that's, that's a hard part with businesses as they scale, it becomes harder and harder. And so as you're building like your culture, um, you know, it's, it's easy when you have 20 or 30 employees really after that 40 employee mark is when it starts getting very difficult. But if you, it really comes down to your leadership. So having, you know, having really talented leaders, but having the leaders, giving them the flexibility and the breathing room to, to enable their teams to understand the why and take the time to do that, that's going to help you scale that, that culture, um, you know, to, to the next, you know, couple hundred or thousand employees. It becomes very difficult because you're playing a, a, a game of phone tag, uh, a phone tag, as we call it, um, or telephone, where, you know, what someone says is going to get jarbled and, and maybe misconstrued to someone else. But, yeah. you know, if you have, you know, really good leadership and you don't, you know, give your leaders an adequate amount of people that are responsible for and, the, and you give them the power to understand their people, then um, that's where your culture can scale and, and everyone can feel connected to the journey, which is becoming increasingly harder and harder with how much you know, data and information is out there. Right. Okay. So Dalton, we've, we've talked a lot about how more junior talent can be nurtured and, and career progression can really be facilitated by businesses. But let's talk about DEI diversity, quality, and inclusion. Because obviously we know this is a huge factor in good company culture, propelling you know, DEI is, is absolutely crucial, it's integral. So what can companies, I suppose, let's start, let, let, let me put it another way. What do you think is a challenge that companies are facing in terms of really driving DEI at the moment? Yeah, so today the tech industry um, for example, it, it, us in technology, a company that Kendrick Trotter and I uh, co-founded, one of the big kind of challenges in the world today is, um, you know, we, we kind of, we call underrepresented or marginalized folks. The definition of that to us is black, indigenous, people of color, color women, um, any underrepresented minorities, veterans, um, people of the LGBTQIA plus community, and also um, anyone who grew up in a single parent household or a first gen college grad. And that's not, you know, we're not defining anything by race. It's really about experience and like where, you know, where they came from or how they grew up or the different experiences they had growing up. What's really important is in the tech industry, it's about 1.3% black in, in, um, in the US. And, and to give you a perspective around that, the U.S. population is about 14% African-American or black, that identifies African-American or black. So there's a big gap there. And from the like Latino population um, or Latinx population, it's about 3.3% you know, in, in, in the U.S. in tech, when the population is about 18.5%. So there's a massive gap there. And so one of the challenges with that is, is traditionally it's come from, you know, there's a lot of um, you know, societal challenges that have come with that. There's a lot of challenges around access. And so, uh, and also ge geographic uh, geography. So, a lot of the HBCU schools or the Latino populations are removed from the big tech hubs. And so, what people have to understand is like 
there's been, you know, technology, especially this tech sector has not been around for a very long time. It's not like steel. I'm working in the steel industry and bringing tech to steel. Steel's been around much longer than the technology sector. And so that what, what what's difficult sometimes for, for companies to embrace or understand is that, you know, there's this lack of access. So getting more STEM programs, so into schools and helping people in those communities learn about technology at a young age, that's really important. Another thing, uh, another challenge is, um, you know, it's with with the schools and where the tech hubs are, the tech industry has become, you know, homogenous in terms of a lot of people that look like me, right? I'm a Caucasian male. I grew up in a mixed race family. My my grandpa's African-American, my uncle's African-American on both sides of my family, but I'm a Caucasian male when people see me. And one of the challenges that, that companies don't, in my opinion, fully understand yet is there's this, there's this generational challenge of lack of access to technology. And so what, what companies can do is they can start investing in programs to help to outreach and help um, people, you know, understand that there are there. This is a great career path. This is something that's very um, fulfilling and that you can, you know, build generational wealth for your families. Um, a lot of the people in us in tech that get their first job, for example, um, when we help them, they make more money in that first base salary than they had growing up in their household combined, which is, you know, a significant impact on the trajectory of their family and their future generations to come. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of what can be done, I mean, we're, we're talking about permeating so many different areas in society from education to you know awareness and and so forth and, and right now if we were to look at the, the tech industry what do you think a, a change could be made let's say from tomorrow that would give more access to individuals that you know that you you touched upon it who are kind of underrepresented within the tech space what can be done to help them to, to give them access um to within the tech domain yeah, I think that um, going into those communities or like having some sort of outreach program that um, that provides resources to, to an understanding of what a career in tech would look like is something that people can do, whether it's through, you know, universities um, or it's just through different uh, your local communities. I think that companies can invest resources. A lot of times they have people that, you know, are out there advocating or are trying to, you know, make this change. But in order to make true change, you have to invest resources, not just, you know, money, but also time. And so I think um, a lot of the big companies that get it right, that are, you know, that are chipping away at their diversity numbers. And, and, and you have to remember diversity, diverse teams outperform homogenous teams by 30 percent. So this is a business problem. It's not just, you know, a societal um, problem. It's a business problem as well. And so the, t the companies that are getting it right are really working on community outreach whether it's partnering through like um, programs like us in technology or sisters in sales or girls who sell or, um, you know, correlation ones, another one, there's all these different companies that are, that are really, you know, kind of out there teaching people that, you know, one, you don't have to be an engineer to be in tech. That's a big misconception too. myself, um, a former college athlete and, you know, in a marketing major, I do, I had not coded ever in my life, but you know, I've had a successful career by just being co having coachability, drive, integrity, intelligence. Those are really the four key things you need to be successful in tech, which are soft skills, not hard skills. But 
I think that companies can go into their communities and really start investing. It won't um, have a big impact today, but it will have a big impact tomorrow and for the future. And that's how we're going to actually make this change. That's, that's incredibly insightful. We're talking a lot about what companies can do outward facing, right? External incentives and projects that they can embark on. But what do you think companies can do within themselves to really drive DEI? Yeah, so one of the big drivers is, is really is think about your hiring practices. So okay. when, you, when you think about like who you're hiring and the opportunities you're giving those to, a lot of companies, and there's nothing wrong with this to be clear, but a lot of companies rely on heavily on referrals. And so, if, but if your team, you know, is all, you know, from one university or one fraternity or sorority, that's what your team's going to look like. That's just their network. And so, what's yeah. really important is companies, you know, invest in and 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 help your hiring teams and managers open that candidacy pool. There's a lot of programs out there like us in technology that will help you with this. But just helping them and giving them the ability and power to like kind of broaden that um, is important. Another piece is when you talk about like hiring teams, there's a lot of bias that goes into hiring. Um, and so that's that's a ch that can be a challenge, too, is, is around like, you know, p it's easier to manage people that you know and understand. So like, you know, teaching those teams or investing in programs to help those teams understand that they may have bias when they're hiring that's important but another big piece too is um is is really just thinking about your your talent pool and in your hiring practices a lot of times companies you see um you know in 2022 you're gonna see, you see a lot of companies investing in in, in in like a chief diversity officer or in dei pro you know having a dei team within their company one of the challenges with that is like talent acquisition um, you know, sales or, you know, whoever the hiring teams are, the, the, the hiring managers, whether it's sales or engineering. And then also um, the DEI, they're typically not on the same page in terms of how they're organizing their hiring practices. And so what I would tell companies, a lot of people are looking at when they hear DEI, they think about like, you know, inclusion and bringing yourself to work. Mm. Um, part of that, uh, you know, if your company is already not diverse, which most tech companies are not diverse, um, it's really about bringing in diversity. And so it starts with like looking at your um, incoming talent and where are you getting them from? And are you opening those candidacy pools? And does your talent acquisition team, is your DEI team and your um, hiring team all on the same page in terms of how they're hiring or who they're hiring or what, what pools are they hiring from? Okay, okay. And, and Dalton, whilst we're on the subject of hiring, and obviously the, the, the TA role is, is absolutely integral to how businesses scale and grow and driving the right culture. But what methods do you think an individual who, who sits in a TA role within the tech space, what can they do from today to really help address the inequalities faced by the underrepresented communities that we discussed? I think that having like like community outreach in terms of in terms of like giving people insight to what a, a day in a life of tech would at your company would look like mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of misconceptions from the un, from the underrepresented standpoint and also from the the company standpoint there's a big gap there and I think that TA people can um, spend time in those communities or what through partnerships like us in technology and others to really like 
give people insight into what it's like to work there. And, and there's um, a concept of like ERG groups. And so ERG groups is a big, it's a big thing. It came out in the 1970s and it's kind of evolved over time, but it's becoming now that we're now that a lot of companies are focused on DEI and like uh, uh, changing this diversity challenge that we have. Yeah. ERG groups are a great way. And so if you can go into communities and, 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 and have an underrepresented person who's potentially looking at that company, talk to someone about their experience as an underrepresented person at your company, that's that's really impactful and powerful. So if you're a TA, if you have an inter- enterprise resource or employee resource group internally and you can connect them with those people, that's um, really important. But you have to be careful. You don't want to, you know, quote unquote, tokenize someone by by this, but you know, offering those things. Hey, we have a one of our partners, um, one of my good friends, Derek Hall, runs the uh, Black ERG group at Service Titan. It's called Black Titans. And so, if you have um, a potential candidate, you can mention that we have employee resource groups like these resource groups, and see if they're interested. And would you like to talk to any of them mm. about their experience? And if you can offer things like that. And someone can can have a conversation with someone who's who's worked there. It's going to go a long way in um, you know in acquiring um, that talent. You talked earlier, Dalton, about the statistics. So when when you started your career in tech 15 years ago, the numbers of underrepresented individuals was staggeringly low. 15 years on, those numbers really haven't changed. What do you think companies can do from a recruitment screening perspective? Because as you said earlier, you know, this is a business problem. We are, I'm very passionate about the, 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 the moralistic perspective, the integrity of it all. But if we were to go down to, to, to the basics, to the numbers, diverse groups perform better. That, and so what, how can companies, I guess, amend their recruitment and their screening to, to really drive DEI? One of the challenges, in in my opinion, and in, in, especially in tech, is we don't teach our future leaders like how to recruit. It's something that is so important. The best companies in the world have the best people. It's that it's that simple. And but you know, a lot of times we're not teaching our teams on like what's the process of recruiting and how do you recruit. And so what happens in in, in today's world and, and just as a society. We're taught, especially in tech, to screen out versus screen in. And that's really that's really a big challenge. And so what I would tell people out there is like, one, have your have your best recruiters and leaders like talk about it. Like enable and train your teams on like what are the best practices on recruiting. Understand that there's bias. Every human has bias. Um, you're you're naturally gonna gravitate towards towards things that you can you know connect with or you had a similar experience that's really important that your teams understand that they have that uh, implicit bias so un- it's not that you're ever going to change that it's just it's holding it accountable and keeping it in check and understanding that but screening in versus screening out is so imperative when you're looking at diverse talent because a lot of the perception or the challenges that you know maybe the first line manager or the second line manager see is only from their purview okay and so what's really important is that it's not to, to go and tell people how to hire, it's to give them the tools to hire people that they don't look like them or grew up in a different experience than them. You need to equip the people with that and give them the ability to screen in. So let's, let, instead of, hey, you know, you don't have these, you know, five or six skills, 
let's look, let's flip the script. It's, Hey, you don't have these five or six skills, but you have these four superpowers that are, you know, that are going to make you successful. We're going to teach and train you to go do this. And one of the, one of the COVID and kind of what's happened in, in the world today has accelerated this, but you know, the companies that get it, that have good enablement and good training and can make their teams more uh, productive, they're surviving and thriving. The companies that don't have training or don't have enablement that aren't putting the resources in, it's it's not a good company to join anyway. And the, that's where the, the challenge lies is, is a lot of people say, hey, you don't have this experience. Um, so you're, I'm not going to hire you. What I hear is I don't know how to teach you this experience. And so that's really good for people to understand as they're looking at jobs too. A lot of people get frustrated or combative when they hear hey, you, the person telling them they don't have this experience, that's not what I hear. What I hear is I don't know how to teach you this. And so I would run from those, um, from those companies personally. I never, I never thought of it like that. That's, but you're absolutely right. You know, we, we as, as companies, we have responsibilities to develop our people, right? Just like we would develop, we talk about the development of products. We have to, our people are our greatest asset. Um, and so again, we've talked about how culture is driven from education. It's also driven from a, from an L and D, a learning and development perspective as well. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and, and what's really important about that is understanding your people. If you understand your people and where they want to grow to or how they learn, that's, that's extremely imperative too. I have, um, I have a person on my team who has a, a visual disability and um, we actually hired this person from us in technology. And this, uh, this person is one of my best um, you know, sales reps. But she, uh, one of the challenges that I had to overcome is like really embracing like she, she, has, she has needs that I have to adhere to to help her succeed. And a lot of times it's quick, it's really easy for us to quickly like just view the world the way we view yeah. it. Meaning like you can't expect yourself out of others. And what that means is really, you know, not everyone views the world the same way you do. And so what's what's important about that is like people learn differently. Maybe you have to send them, you know, information beforehand to help people who are more visual learners. Maybe there's people that, you know, it takes them longer to read. You know, I've worked with some people that, you know, were dyslexic and, you know, they it wasn't something they necessarily shared. But when you take the time to like, understand them and understand how they learn and give them that time that those are some of the best people I've ever worked with and you know are super successful and so a lot of companies just you know pool everyone into one conform into one way of learning or one you know career path and everyone's unique and that's what makes everyone great and so people's journey you know my journey is going to be different than your journey and everyone's journey is going to be different and so you have to embrace that and that's that starts with like, you know, when we talk about inclusion, that's what it's about is embracing people's journey and who they are and their superpowers and screening in versus screening out. So just whilst we're on the, 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 the topic of the screening in versus screening out and hiring people that perhaps look differently or have had very different experiences, what can we really do to, to drive more awareness around that? Because in my opinion, I think the tech space in some ways, it's very forward thinking. And, and then I think in other ways, especially from the recruitment perspective, we're, we're a little bit behind. Um, how can we raise awareness when hiring um, around the piece of some people 
Some individuals just have better decisions, or you know, they're able to 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 make good decisions, whereas other people actually had good decisions. Yeah, I think that that's that's a really important aspect of of not just you know the hiring but retaining mm. talent as well. But but spot on. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's it really comes down like. My parents were both teachers and my parents um, were as educators. I didn't know much about the tech industry. And so that's pretty common for, for anyone, unless you, you know, have an uncle or a brother or a, a, a mother or whoever, a sister that was in, in the industry. It's, it's very unknown. It's just, you know, it's tech. It's this thing. People think of computers. They think of like phones, but like, what is it? And so I think when raising awareness around that, it's really just having an understanding that people don't know what they don't know. So in my opinion, it's absolutely ridiculous to have an entry level, you know, position um, where, you know, it's someone who's, you know, maybe, you know, in their early 20s and you're asking them, they've, they haven't worked in tech and you're asking them about their experience of, you know, using, um, you know, a, a sales intelligence tool or a CRM, like they, they don't know what a CRM is. I didn't know what a CRM was when I started my career. And so I think, um, that, you know, raising awareness around, you know, let's uh, meet people where they are and educate them and help them versus, you know, trying to hold these standards where that are ridiculous. And, you know, with this, this with everything going on in today's world and people with, you know, remote work and quote unquote, the great resignation, you're going to find a lot of people are just going to gravitate toward the companies that meet them where they are. And so that's that's really important is like is is understanding that, you know, a lot of these people don't have, you know, they don't have the experience or understanding of or access to people that do and so that's really important and when you're talking about like having great choices versus you know having access and great choices that's really important to understand too and a great example of this is like my co-founder kendrick kendrick was an uber driver he was a former d1 uh, football player grew up in a single parent household he's african-american in oakland um, he, when he entered the tech industry, he, he didn't know about tech and it's crazy to think because he lives in the Bay area in San Francisco, which is the tech capital of the world, but he didn't really know anyone in tech. We talk about this all the time and, and kind of his journey and, and, and us in tech, he was an Uber driver after school. He thought he was going to play in the NFL and in his community, it's, um, you know, it's, it's the streets. It's, he'll tell you to, to, um, to get rich, you either have, you have the streets, you have be an artist, a singer, or, or a musician, or a rapper, or you play sports. And that those are like the three ways. It's not, hey, I could be a doctor, a lawyer, or get into, you know, be a CRO at a tech company. And so really understanding, um, what, trying to understand, embrace, and empathize with where people are coming from is really important when you're like hiring because... A lot of the the questions and standards we hold people to are really, you know, single focus. It, it requires you to have access to people or an understanding, you know, of things. And so I think that's that's one piece. The second piece is like in Kendrick's story, for example, he got a job as an SDR in, in San Jose. He couldn't afford, you know, San Jose is in the Bay Area. It's one of the most expensive places to live in the world. His uh, leadership was telling him, hey, you have to be the first one in the office and the last one to leave if you want to make it. And you, you need to hit your dials and your calls and these things, right? That we, a lot of sales leaders say, we all say. 
But what 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 that company didn't understand is like he didn't have you know he didn't have any money. He couldn't afford to live within. 30 minutes of, you know, where the office was, but it was a requirement to come into the office every day. He actually lived in um, Sacramento and commuted almost six hours every single day. And he ended up, because he was working so hard, he ended up sleeping in his car. But that those are the little things. You know, Kendrick had the drive and coachability and sought people's um, help and he got the help he needed and he finally, you know, succeeded. And now he's a CEO of his own company. But the point is, is those, you know, sleeping in your car um, just to be able to work in an office, those things, it's 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 not about will Kendrick make it. It's about how much risk there is to mm. fail. And that's like that's the hard part about that is like, is that sustainable over and over again every day? Probably not. The the other person in that position they hired that's parents, you know, maybe were able to like rent them an apartment right down the street where the person can like go to the gym yeah. and you know, have some food and like, you know, think not live paycheck to paycheck. Does that mean automatically that person's going to be more successful than Kendrick? No. But what it means is that the chances are higher and that's what it's about. Okay. That resonates hugely. And I I think there is so much more to talk about when you, when you, when you look at why decisions are made. And, And I think as a society, not just within the tech space, but we are quite quick to say, well, that person, that person's successful because they work hard and it's not, it's not always that easy to, to, to determine. You know, there are so many other factors, so many tangibles which need to be addressed. And, and I do think that we're starting to have those relevant conversations, um, but we need to do more. We need to you know, have more conversations at, at, at higher levels and, and make it, I think, part of the fabric, you know, that that narrative needs to be really part of the fabric. I mean, the, the conversation, Jordan, with you, as always, has been incredibly insightful. Um, and there's been some really, really interesting takeaways from the importance of sponsorship as well as mentoring within businesses in, in the tech space. And of course, the kind of the, the role that the TA plays and how closely integrated it needs to be with the other leaders within the business in terms of driving and, and making hires that reflect smart decisions um, and propelling DEI and of course the the importance of screening in versus screening out um, I think that's you know I've heard about it but just talking to you just in more granular detail I think has been just so informative yeah absolutely thanks Karen I, I would just say that you know for companies that are really out there thinking about their culture um, you know one kind of last thought I'd, I'd leave people with is like Kendrick and I talk about this a lot, um, and it's a big topic in, you know, us in technology is, you know, if you ask those mentees which companies they want to work for, they'll all tell you, they'll go to to the website and they look to see how many underrepresented people are in their marketing, like on their website, how many of them, they go check LinkedIn and see like how many people work there, how many of them are in management positions. Those are things that are really uh, prevalent. And so... Um, for a lot of, it doesn't just start with your hiring. It's also the way that you market and you write job descriptions and that you 
you know, portray your brand out there in the market. And so as companies are looking to kind of build a more inclusive culture, it's not just um, inclusive hiring, it's also inclusive marketing as well, which is a, which is a big part. And maybe on episode two, we can cover some of oh, that. That's, uh, I'll hold you to that, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your, for, for your time. Again, your summary was um, really, really thought-provoking. And um, Jordan, I, I, until we talk again, thank you so much. <laughs>